Good evening. So good to see these familiar, smiling, beautiful faces and um, knowing that together we worship the Lord and bring a smile to His face. You know, we're blessed. We're really blessed. The fact that we can be here tonight and we're not concerned that someone's going to beat the door down, arrest us for being here, we're blessed. And so it's good to be with you tonight. We're going to continue our series in uh, just a moment, but before I do that, I'm going to do like I did last week, take a detour before the message. Now, hopefully I actually get to the message this week, because last week the whole message was detour, right? But it was the detour the Lord wanted for us that night and uh, timely for us. So I'm going to just uh, very quickly, I want to point something out, but as I do this, we're going to go a little bit further in, in it. So last week I mentioned, I, I said something by mistake, and um, it's important that we take a look at the Word of God in value, and we want to get it right. We don't want to misquote, missay things, and more than, uh, more than anything else, we simply want to get it right and represent the Lord accurately in what we say and what we do. Well, last week out of Second Chronicles 20, you don't need to turn there, but in the first verse I made the comment about the Moabites and the Ammonites, and I said that they were descendants of Abraham um, out of Ishmael. Now, that's completely wrong. They were descendants of Lot, all right? And then I went, now, there were descendants of Abraham there with those guys. There was a, the uh, Let's see, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites, which are also called the Edomites or the um, inhabitants of, in verse 11, you can find them. They're also on the scene. So they were descendants of Abraham, and they were there making war against the children of Israel. They were uh, through Esau, right? And, but the other guys were through Lot, and they were from Lot's daughters. If you remember the story of fear and incest, and because of that, here these two races came out of that and were now being a real thorn in the side of the Israelites. And that got me to think, so, so I just wanted to clarify that uh, if you go on and listen and go, wow, that, don't think that's right. You are correct. It's not, it's not uh, Abraham, it's Lot. And, um, but that got me to thinking about what happens when we act in fear. And this last um, nine months, 11, 10 months, whatever it's been, you know, this has been on full display for the whole world to see what happens when people operate out of fear and how it can control people, it can blind them, it can dull them, and, and really make a real circus, as you know, as you've lived in. And so I was thinking of the Scripture, because that's what happened with Lot, right? It was out of fear. Same way with uh, Ishmael, it was out of fear that they made a decision that had now consequences thousands of years later. In 2 Timothy, you can turn to this one if you want, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and a verse that we could probably all quote by memory, right? Verse 7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power love, and a sound mind or sound judgment. And as I looked at this, you know, we often talk about how fear is a spirit. 
He didn't give us a spirit of fear. And spirits can hear you. And when you speak to them, they can hear what you, what you are saying. And that's why we address fear. When fear shows up, you know, when the, when the uh, cult of the religion of COVID shows up, and that fear, the spirit that motivates that religion tries to get on you, there's something that you should do in that moment. You should speak to that spirit and say, no, not today. I don't yield to you. I've been set free. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. And you simply don't yield to that being that wants to come and find a foothold in your life. Alright, so we've been real clear on that. For months we've talked about this and brought it up and mentioned it. Now, look a little bit further though. There's a spirit of fear, but there's also a spirit of power. There is a spirit, a spirit being of love. There is a spirit of a sound mind. All three of these things are the complete opposite. He's saying it didn't give you this sort of spirit. He gave you these spirits of power, of love, of a sound mind. And just like if you yield to a spirit of fear and it will come in and it will increase and expand in your life and take root and open up the door to other things, other problems, other issues to come into your life, in the exact same way, if you yield to a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind, that will come in and open up the door for God to do things in your life that you may not have, wouldn't have received otherwise. You know how Revelations talks about in uh, chapter 1 and in chapter 3, it talks about the seven spirits of God. So it, it says there's seven spirits of God. And if you go to uh, Isaiah 11, I believe it is, you can see what those seven spirits are. And just again, you know, because we don't stand and just fight against the spirit of fear from a place of nothing. You know, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts is what Scripture says. So that love, spirit, it's a spirit being, the spirit of love has been put within us already. We have the spirit of love. We have the spirit of power. We have the spirit of a sound mind and and disciplined thinking and good judgment. All of those things. Let's look here in chapter 11 of verse 2. It says the Spirit is talking about Jesus. Let's just read verse 1. That way it's clear. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So there's Spirit number 1. Spirit of the Lord. A spirit of wisdom. That means skillfulness. A spirit of wisdom. Now, in Timothy, we read out the spirit of power, spirit of love, spirit of sound mind. Let's see if we can find those in, in this list. So there's a spirit of wisdom. There's a spirit of understanding. There's a spirit of counsel or advice. There's a spirit of strength or power or might, some translations would say. There is a spirit of knowledge. And then there's a spirit of the fear of the Lord. And all of these spirits, seven of them, I believe that we can operate and walk in because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, the Spirit of God. So we're not going to yield to a spirit of fear and make decisions that 500 years from now are going to be affecting people negatively, right? But we're going to yield to power, to love, to sound judgment. And you know what? 5,000 years from now, that can still be bringing in amazing results because of decisions you make today. 
you and I are here because someone decided to obey the Lord. Did you know that? And sure, we can roll it back to a generation or two. or Let's go way back. Let's go all the way back to the flood. We're here as a result of someone obeying the Lord and making a decision to walk in what the Lord said rather than in the things that were around Him. And then you and I benefit from it. Hallelujah. All right, that was sermon number one. Now we can move on. And understand that we operate from a place of authority, a place of victory, a place of freedom. The victory's already been established. We fight from that place. All right? All right, God's will to heal. We have been in this series for, I think this is the 12th one now in the sermon series. We've covered 18 reasons on why we believe that it is God's will to heal. And we'll real quickly go through these reasons just so that you can see the list as we move into two more reasons tonight, reason number 19 and reason number 20. But reason number one that we believe God's will is to heal is because God's Word is medicine. And if His Word is medicine, then it will heal you. And He gave it to us to use in that way. Reason number two is because of a strong spirit will sustain you. You know, if you're a person of strong spirit, you can go through a lot. Right? Still stay strong in faith. It'll sustain you is what the Word says. And then we looked at God's original creation, reason number three. And we saw that in reason number three and four, God's original creation as well as God's will being done in heaven and the new creation that is to come. And all three of those, there's a complete absence of sickness. And so that reveals what God's will is for us. Because we're supposed to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, where's sickness in heaven? There isn't. And because we looked at God's intention for all of that, then we recognize the origin of sickness. Where it came from. Reason number five. It's the origin of sickness and it came from sin. Sickness comes from sin. And because of that sin, the devil comes in and, and inflicts sickness and it's a work of the devil. And We looked at Scripture verses that told us that it was a work of the devil. That's reason number six. Reason number seven. I'm so grateful for this one. We have a God with a name that says, I am the God who heals you. And that name is Jehovah Rapha, right? And it means I, the God who heals. So he gave us his covenant, reason number eight, covenant of healing. And reason number nine, um, the word tells us that sickness is a part of the curse of the law. In Galatians 3, you can find that. It's part of the curse of the law. And Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's reason number 10. Then we looked at Job. What about Job? And we realize that he, he being reason number 11. Go back and listen to the sermon if you haven't already. There, you can find them all free online for our guests. And um, I think you'll be blessed by that sermon because of Job. And then reason number 12 and 13. We looked at old covenant types of redemption. Things that pointed forward to redemption. And we saw healing in those types. Well, then we see healing in the real thing as well. The real redemption that Jesus provided for us. Reason number 13. We also looked, this wasn't one of the reasons, but we did look at and clear up questions about Paul's thorn. What was Paul's thorn? 
And we saw that it was not sickness. It was an evil spirit that was following him around, stirring up persecution for him. And the Lord told him what to do about it. It wasn't, he wasn't supposed to just put up with it. No, well, I guess you got to suffer through this one. No, he said, my grace is enough for you. And what is grace? It's God's ability and empowerment made available to you, something you didn't have prior. Reason number 14 of why we believe healing is God's will for you, for me, for everyone, is because of the resurrection. The resurrection. The Lord cares about your body. Someone say, the Lord cares about my body. Reason number 15 is because God is a good Father. Reason number 16, healing is the children's bread, is what Jesus recognized as a statement of faith. And He ended up a lady being healed because she said, well, I don't need the whole loaf, I just need a crumb. See, so many times we've looked at even those of us that believe healing is God's will, we've kind of had the idea that healing is that rare, um, on-occasion dessert that we might have. You know, it just happens periodically. But yet, that's not what bread was here. Bread is a staple. It's like bread and water. It's the most basic you can get. And it's their right. Healing is the children's bread. So who are the children? You and I. So healing is our staple. Reason number 17, that we're confident in the healing will of God for us is because of His mercy. His mercy. Again and again, when someone came to Him and asked for mercy, they were healed. Reason number 18, and we're going to review just a little bit on this one, that we are certain that healing is God's will is because of authority over demons and disease. Authority. This was our last sermon on the subject, authority. So let's go over to Mark chapter 1 and we'll begin there. Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. As then they went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching, because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, Let us alone! What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now who wants a devil testifying for them? Uh-uh. You don't want the devil testifying for you. Because he's a liar. Now what he said was true. Verse 25, let's see Jesus' response. Because this is his normal response to dealing with devils. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet! And come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so they began to argue with one another, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And they seem surprised at this. That evil spirits would obey somebody. Well, this is simply the authority of the spoken word. He spoke a command. This was usually how he dealt with demonic forces is by speaking to them. Speaking to them and just telling them where to go. He also used uh, the spoken word a few times for healing. 
And if you remember times where he just said, said the word and, and they were healed. Now, I want you to see something very clearly here. There is authority over devils. There is authority over disease. He sent out the 12 disciples and gave them authority and power for both. Okay, now let's go, you say, well, yeah, but that was just to the disciples. Let's look at Mark chapter 16. We're still all in review here. Mark chapter 16 and verses 15 and through 20 is what we'll read. So then he, Jesus, this is right before his ascension. He says to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes, someone say, I believe. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Say, I'm a believer. So these are the signs that are going to accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes, and if they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Now, notice here, there's authority on two things. One, on demons, over demons. You can tell them to leave. And over the serpents here, a representative of demonic powers. And over anything deadly that wants to hurt them. These are all references to demonic strongholds and powers. He's saying you have authority over this. Then he takes it further and he goes, they're going to lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. So there's two areas here that authority was given to them. Over demons and over disease. Now, in Ephesians, many of you could probably quote quote the Scripture where it says that He put everything under Jesus' feet. God the Father put everything under His feet and appointed Him as head of the church. Head of the church. So not the whole body of the church, the head of the church. He is the head over everything for the church, which is His body. The church in the earth today is Jesus' body in the earth today. His head, where we get our orders and take commands from, right? He is the head. We are His body. And if everything has been put under the feet of Jesus, we're talking about authority. The authority that Jesus gave to the believer right before He ascended. If everything is put under the feet of Jesus and you are part of Jesus' body, that means those things are under your feet. Under your feet. Someone say, under my feet. Hebrews 10 goes on and tells us this. It says, But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until His enemies are made His footstool. He's now doing what? Waiting. Waiting on what? Enemies to be put under His feet. Who's His body? The church in the earth today. You and I are the ones that are carrying on the work that He started in the earth And you and I, as His body, are finding enemies and taking authority over them. And that puts them under the feet of Jesus and builds Him a beautiful footstool. Right? Waiting for His enemies to be made His footstool is what the Scripture says. Waiting on you and I to fulfill the great 
mighty commission that he gave to us that's still ongoing, still relevant. So, are you ready for reason number 19? We are certain that it is God's will to heal because of the laying on of hands. Did you know the laying on of hands is a doctrine? Not every church believes in it, but they ought to because it's Bible. The laying on of hands is Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was an Old Testament doctrine as well. And um, one of the ways it was used many times was to impart blessing. Remember Jacob in Israel? Uh, or Jacob, Israel, same guy. Um, he laid hands on his two grandsons, Joseph's sons, and imparted blessing to them. Well, it was used this way many times in the Old Testament. Um, that's in Genesis 48. They also used it during their worship services. The laying on of hands. Let's say how. Well, the Levites were instructed in, in Exodus 29 to lay hands on the sacrifice, on the head of the sacrifice, on the animal. And they would lay hands, and by faith, they would transfer their sins onto the sacrifice and receive the perfectness of the sacrifice onto them. That was all done in faith, the laying on of hands. And a, a transfer took place. And then, also it was used to equip men for service to God. You remember in uh, how Moses laid hands on Joshua. And if you look, it's in Numbers 27 as well as Deuteronomy 34. It says that Moses laid hands on Joshua. Later, I think it's in the Deuteronomy one, where it says that, that Joshua had a spirit, had the spirit, had wisdom, and he had honor because Moses had given it to him by the laying on of hands. So there was a transfer that would take place in that way too for service. Well, that was all Old Testament. How about New Covenant? Is the doctrine of laying on of hands, is it Bible for the New Testament? Well, it was primarily, the primary use of it in the New Testament is for healing. We see this in more cases, it being used for healing than anything else. It's also the laying on of hands is used for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to teach on that tonight, but we see again and again through the book of Acts that when people would lay hands on someone, that's when they would receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, there were some exceptions. There were times that they got filled when nobody even prayed for them, right? And, um, but usually it happened by the laying on of hands. And then finally, also, it's used in the New Testament to equip men for service, just like it was in the Old Testament, whether it be through ordination or when we lay hands on a missionary and send him out or maybe on the helps ministry somewhere. It's an impartation, an impartation of gifts as well. Paul, Paul said to Timothy, you know, keep that gift alive on the inside of you that was imparted at the laying on of hands. So there's spiritual gifts and transfers that take place at the laying on of hands. Let's go over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> and let's look in verse 11. He had been talking about Melchizedek, high priest. Jesus is our high priest. He says, we have a great deal to say about this. In chapter 5, verse 11. And it's difficult to explain since you have become lazy to understand. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of God's revelation. Did you know God's revelation doesn't just fall on you by accident? You have to intentionally seek it. Be teachable. 
Show up. Open the Word. Ask the Lord. It takes an intentionalness on our part, not a laziness. Many, of, many people want to have the wisdom and knowledge of God operate in their life, but they're lazy about it. And they don't seek it and go, go after it. Well, here he's saying in verse 13 now, he says, Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the Word about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained. Did you know your senses can be trained? You can train your senses to act right. All right, To act in wisdom. And it says what here? To distinguish between good and evil. Trained senses. Now, let's look in chapter 6, verse 1. Continue reading. Therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, what does that mean? The, the very basic, like bottom, early, entry-level understanding. Okay? Entry-level understanding. Let's leave the elementary message about the Messiah. Let us go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance. Now, he does, he's, what he's saying here is we're going to go from elementary to college. Right? Maturity. University. We want to go further in the things of God. But because they were being lazy, he was hindered. And they couldn't go further. So he is, he's kind of chiding them a little bit here. And saying, look, we need to come up in this. And he said, it's pointless. Why do we have to again and again come back to the basic elementary foundational principles in the Word? And what he gives a list of foundational things here that he's going to cover that he considered to be child's play. They ought to just be understood. Bottom line. What is this list? Well, one is the repentance from dead works. Okay, repentance, that's good. Faith in God. That's good. Teaching about ritual washings or baptisms. See, these are all considered child's play. Just basic. Basic beginner stuff. Then he says, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So the laying on of hands is listed right with baptism and with these other things as this is the most basic thing you should know. We shouldn't be having to talk about this. But yet today in the world today with believers all around, I know not in this house because you guys believe in the laying on of hands. But in many churches across the world, they do not believe in the laying on of hands. Or if they do, not the way they did it in the Bible. Maybe it's just at ordination or, or just, you know, and there's all these exceptions made. So let's go and let's look at this. Did you know that, go over to Mark 16. We're going to read it again. We read it before. Do you know that touch or the laying on of hands is referenced 19 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? 19 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that it's mentioned about touch or the laying on of hands. Interestingly, I couldn't find any mention of it in the book of John, in the Gospel of John. And um, in the book of Acts, you'll find it nine times mentioned. Touch or the laying on of hands. And what was happening when they would touch or lay on of hands? There is power or anointing that was transferred at that moment. Power and anointing that became available to them 
at the laying on of hands. So here in Mark 16, now, now this is what we're looking for is the laying on of hands. So let's stay on that. Let's just read in verse 1 again. Then He said to them, go into all the world. Not verse 1, verse 15. Then He said to them, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to the whole creation. Tell them the good news, He's saying. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In My name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. And if they drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick. And they will get well. Now, this is considered one of the elementary truths for a Christian, you will lay hands on sick people and they will get better. Not they might get better, they will get better. How many people in here have we had, um, have you had hands laid on you for healing at some point in your life? Almost everyone, right? And so the promise to you, whether you got healed immediately or are still standing in faith for it, the promise is you will be healed. It doesn't say immediately. But the recovery began at that moment right then. You will recover. Someone say, I will recover. The promise is they will recover. Now let's go over to Mark chapter 1. Reason number 19 that we believe healing is the will of God is because of the laying on of hands. If He didn't want people to get healed that way, He shouldn't have said it. Right? right. Say, well, that's not for the church today. Well, Jesus actually said them who believe. He didn't say you disciples who believe. He said those who believe. The ones the disciples were going to. Those who believe. These are the signs that are going to follow them. They will lay hands on the sick. They will recover. In Mark chapter 1, this is our, what we have, well, we've been usually in Luke, but the same story. Mark 1, verse 40, this has been our text to begin this uh, sermon after sermon series with. Here he says in verse 40, then a man with a serious skin disease came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion. Jesus reached out His hand and touched him. I am willing, He told him, be made clean. Immediately the disease left him and he was healed. Now let's just take a walk through the book of Mark real quick and let's see that how it's so often. Let's go to chapter 5. Book of Mark, chapter 5, begin reading in verse 21. I'll just read a handful of accounts to you of this happening. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around Him while He was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at His feet and kept begging Him, My little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. Apparently, Jesus had a reputation because he's very, very specific in what he's asking for. Come touch her. It's at your touch, Lord, that she will be healed. 
So the word had gone out through the entire region of what was happening. Jesus touches people and they're healed. So all you need is for Him to touch you. So He comes and asks Him this. Verse 24, So Jesus went with Him and a large crowd was following and pressing against Him. A certain woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. Someone say incurable. On the contrary, she became worse. Wow. Has any of you ever experienced that? Go to the doctor and it gets worse, not better. (laughs) Thank God for doctors. But they're not miracle workers, are they? They're just working with the system that we've been given. A body that's designed to heal. By the way, if you wonder, is it God's will to heal? You know, if you think we should ask the Lord, is it your will to heal this person before we pray for them? What would that mean for all the nurses and doctors around the world? So then they ought to pray before they help anybody. Say, Lord, is is it your will that this person get better? Yeah, he said yes. Okay, we'll change the bandage for you. See how ridiculous this gets quickly? (laughs) Very. All right, hallelujah. Verse 27, having heard about Jesus, see, she heard too. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his robe. She didn't even touch him, just his clothing. For she said, this is what she was saying to herself, if I can just touch his robes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my robes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you and you say who touched me? Like everyone's touching you, Jesus. And apparently there's a bit of awkwardness maybe. He's just standing there waiting. Who, 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 who touched me? And finally, the disciples are stepping up and trying to, you know, hey, hey, relax. Everyone's touching you. Right? But Jesus knows, no, something happened. It's more than just people bumping against me. Verse 32, so he was looking around to see who had done this. So it's a question. And now he's looking at people. Everyone's denying it. Nope, wasn't me. Nope, wasn't me. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, He told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They started laughing at him and he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand. Is he touching her? He took her by the hand and said to her, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. 
She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astonished. Amazing what the Lord did here. Let's go to chapter 6 here, a verse later, verse 1. It says, And he went from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? They said. What is this wisdom given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. How can this Jesus, this, this ordinary common guy that we know, the carpenter's son, the, the bastard son, right? Born out of wedlock. Stigma. How can this guy do these anointed things from the Lord? And they're offended at him. Hmm. Verse 4, Then Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and in his household. So he was not able to do any miracles there. Not able. doesn't say that he wouldn't do any miracles there. It says he could not. That implies he wanted to and was not able to. It doesn't mean it was God's will for no miracles to be done there. He wanted to. He was not able to do any miracles there. Your unbelief will hinder miracles from coming into your life. It did to them. It says he was not able to do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, not many, just a few, and healed them. So even when he got into a place where, man, I can't do miracles here, the laying on of hands still worked. The laying on of hands. And there was a few people that were healed. That was the one exception, the laying on of hands. Let's look at verse 53. It says, and he was amazed at their unbelief. That was why they, they weren't being healed. All the other miracles weren't happen, happening. Verse 53, let's just continue to go through the, take a quick walk through the book of Mark and look at some of these times where he's touching people. It says, when they crossed over, they came to a land, to land at Gennesaret and beached the boat. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout that vicinity and began to carry the sick on stretchers to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he would go into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the tassel of his robe. And everyone who touched it was made well. There's tremendous power in physical contact. More than what maybe we have, maybe what we believe. Let's look in chapter 7. Verse 32, they brought to him a deaf man who, was, who also had a speech difficulty and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. So he took him away from the crowd privately. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Not a COVID-friendly move. <laughs> Puts his fingers in the man's ears spits, touches his tongue. Is he touching him? Yes. yes. 
He's touching him. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. Let's go over to chapter 8, verse 22. 8.22 Then they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and begged him to touch him. Want him to touch him. Want him to lay hands on him. He took the blind man by the hand, brought him out of the village. See, he's not releasing faith right now or power into this man for healing. Even though he's touching him. He's holding his hand. Right? Power of God's present. But he hasn't released it as a point of contact yet. That part will come in just a moment. So he takes the blind man by the hand. He... he Brings him out of the village, spitting on his eyes. How do you like that one? That'll be, that'll be the next doctrine that we start. <laughs> spitting doctrine, right? Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, now remember, this guy can't see anything. He looks up and he says, I, I see people. They look to me, like trees walking. must have been real blurry just seeing these forms walking around. Again, Jesus placed His hands on the man's eyes and He saw distinctly. He was cured and could see everything clearly. He could see clearly. Let's go to chapter 9. In verse 25. Now, this is the story. We're going to be back here again later this evening. Um, in this account. But this is the story of the man with the son who was possessed that the disciples could not cast the demon out. And they come up and he have this whole conversation with him. And uh, he casts the demon out of him. And verse 25, it says, When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly coming together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse so that many said, he's dead. And maybe he well was. I don't know. People thought he was. Jesus, taking him by the hand as he touching him, raised him and stood him up. The touch of his hand. You know, here's a Scripture for you in Habakkuk. It says, God comes from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. You know what Selah means? It means pause. Take a moment. Reflect on it. Okay? God comes from Teman, the Holy One of, from Mount Paran. So, interestingly, if your children ever ask you now, where did God come from? You can tell them He came from Teman and Mount Paran. Alright? It says He comes from there. Verse 4, here's what I wanted to get to. His brilliance. God's brilliance. Well, Actually, it says His splendor covers the heavens. The earth is full of His praise. His brilliance is like light. Brilliance like light. Rays are flashing from His hand. That means like lightning rays, lightning bolts, light beams are flashing from His hand. From where? From His hand. Listen to this next line. This is where His power is hidden. 
His hands. This is where His power is hidden. There's a reason we are instructed to lay hands on people. Because this is how God the Father touches people. He wants to touch people. And at your touch, in your obedience to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ to lay hands on the sick people, God touches them. It says pestilence goes before Him. Well, that's good. It can't hang around where He is, right? goes before him and a burning flame goes forth at his feet. That's in uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Now listen to this. In Mark 16, we read this a little bit ago. It says, these signs will accompany those who believe. We're going to come back to this too. Those who believe. It doesn't say to those who doubt. We're believers, not doubters. It doesn't say these signs will follow preachers and ministers. Does it? No. It says these signs will follow those who believe. Are there any believers here tonight? And what will they do? They will lay hands on the sick. Now why would they do that? So they can get sick too? No, but see that's the natural idea in the world today, right? Touch someone, now you get it. But the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from that kind of thinking. And you have authority and power. And when you touch people, we said this um, several months ago, you leave Jesus germs behind. Life germs. Okay? Good germs. Good bacteria. Good life force at your touch. And those viruses and diseases can have no effect on you. So they will recover. Malachi 4.2 says this, But for you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing. Everyone say healing. healing. With healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. The NLT says it this way, For you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wing, in His wings. Healing in His wings. This is God's will for people. Healing. He says you will go free. Free from what? Well, free from whatever you needed healed from. You will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Now, have you ever seen a calf that's been let out of the out of the barn? And they go out there and they stand in the grass. They look around, shake their head a little bit, sling their head maybe, and go to bucking and jumping and running and kicking their heels up. And they go, man, no walls, green grass, yeah! And they just go all crazy out there. This is us as we are set free by being healed. So reason number 19. We could, go, we could spend sermons on this about the laying on of hands, um, but we're just mentioning it as a reason that we're certain that God wants to heal all of us is because of the laying on of hands. You know, Jesus was the exact expression of God's will in the earth. So what He did in the earth is what God wants to be happening in the earth. Is the work He assigned to us. He said, greater things than these will you do. So we need to carry on with what He said. Guess what's not going to happen if you don't lay hands on people? Then they're not getting healed. So 
we should not be withholding this from people. Ready for reason number 20? We're certain that healing is God's will for everyone because of faith. Faith. Faith is enough. Even if we took all these other reasons away, all 19 of them, faith, according to Scripture, would be enough. Faith would be enough. I mean, I've just given you, and we're going to look at this one further, 20 reasons. 20 reasons from Scripture why healing is the will of God. Has anyone ever given you 20 reasons from Scripture why it's not God's will to heal? Then why do we listen to them? The Word is clear, right? And we need to yield to the Word. F.F. Bosworth said this in his book, Christ the Healer. If you've not written it, I would highly recommend... I mean, if you've not read it, I would highly recommend it. And he said this, he said, faith begins where the will of God is known. Once you know what God wants, now you can believe for it. You can't believe something if you don't know if God wants it or not. So if you find yourself at a place, well, I don't know what I should do, stop right there, get before the Lord and ask Him what should I do, and listen what you should do, now you have His will in the matter and you can be in faith for it. What has been provided by grace must be received by faith. What has been provided by grace, that's God's empowerment, God's ability, doing things that you can't do for yourself. What has been provided by grace must be received by faith. It doesn't come to you otherwise. You have to believe it. You must appropriate what God has already provided for you. Appropriate it. You know what appropriate means? It means to make it yours. Make something that someone else is yours. Take ownership of it. You know, I have this special beanie. No one's allowed to wear it. And then I look out and I see one of my little ones with it on. What has just happened? They have appropriated the hat that I bought as theirs, and they're out there wearing it. Right? That's what appropriation is. And so, what He has provided for us, we just take a hold of it and lay claim to it. Ownership of it. Let's go to Matthew 9. Matthew chapter 9, and we'll begin reading in verse 27 in a moment. Actually, let's just start right now. In verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed Him, shouting, Have mercy on us, Son of David! When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, they answered him. Notice Jesus didn't just heal them immediately. He heard them yelling for mercy. And so now they show up, and instead of just saying, See clearly, he goes, Do you believe that I can do this? Is what they think and believe important here? Vitally important. I mean, like, it's one of the main factors that's going to determine whether they're healed or not. Is their faith. Does it matter what you and I think? What we believe? Yeah. 
It matters tremendously. I mean, how did you get saved? You believed. It wasn't because you knew half of the Bible and could quote it. It wasn't because you quoted several Scriptures a thousand times. Right? It wasn't in any of those works. It was the moment. It was in the instant. You got born again in the moment that you believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and instantly you were a miracle took place and you were born again, new spirit man on the inside. But the same principle goes for a healing. That's an easier miracle than being born again, come on. We don't think so often because, well, I can see with my physical eye whether the healing took place or not. I can't see with my physical eye whether they were born again or not. But yet it's by faith. How long did it take? It was instantly, right? So verse 20, so he questions them out. Do you believe that I can do this? And their faith is evident because they say with their mouth, yes, Lord, we believe. Then he touched, there it is again, He touched their eyes saying, let it be done for you according to my faith. No, that's not right. Jesus touched them and said, according to my ability, be healed. He just asked them, do you think I can do it? Then why didn't He say, well then according to my faith and ability and because I am the mighty Son of God, don't try this at home, you'll get hurt. Lay hands on Him and be healed. But that's not what took place, is it? Jesus touched them and said, according to the will of God, no? To prove that I'm the Son of God. According to your faith, let it be done for you. Their faith was the thing that brought it about. Their faith. Someone say, my faith can do the same. Let's look in verse 30. And their eyes were opened. Opened. Miracle healing power. Their eyes were opened. Let's go over to Mark chapter 9. We're looking at reason number 20 that we can be healed. That we believe it's God's will to heal simply because we can be healed according to our faith. In Mark 9, let's begin reading in verse 14. Uh, the transfiguration had just happened. Jesus and a few, a couple of the disciples are coming back And this is what they walk into and see in the distance. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. So there's an argument going on. All of a sudden, when the whole crowd saw Him, they were amazed. Oh man, just when we were talking about you, here you are. And ran to greet Him. Then they asked Him, He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Out of the crowd, one man answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Now, this right here today would cause all kinds of false doctrines to be established. 
Well, see, it must not always be the will of God. Because here the disciples had been given authority and power to heal. And they tried and it didn't happen. So maybe it just isn't God's timing yet. Or maybe this father sinned in such a way that he's just not allowed to have his son be healed. And all kinds of doctrines could come up right here that it's not always God's will to heal. In fact, what do you think they were arguing about? your fault no it's your fault why didn't it work well i don't know on and on right i'm really grateful that jesus is present to set the record straight let's just look what he says in verse 19 he replied to them you unbelieving generation how long will i be with you how long must i put up with you bring him to me so they brought him to him When the Spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. There's multiple times in Scripture, this being one of them, where we see someone come up, they're not sure in his ability. And they say, if you can. Now, our text verse that we've read week after week, the man with the leprosy, he comes up, there's no if there. He says, if you want to, you can heal me. I know you can, but do you want to, was his question. Is it your will to heal me? Jesus answered that by healing him. Showed him his will. Here, this guy isn't sure he's able to do anything. If you can do anything. Maybe maybe you're like the disciples. You'd like to help me, but you can't. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. See, he thinks it's all up to Jesus, right? It's all up to Him. If it's God's will. Well, it was God's will for this little boy to be healed ten minutes earlier. But was the little boy healed? No. It was God's will the year before for that little one to be free. God didn't change His will for this guy and then finally deliver him. It was His will all along. Yet the little boy wasn't free. Just because something is God's will for you does not mean that you will appropriate it. Jesus said to him, if you can, different translations say this different ways, but the meaning is all the same. It's like he's repeating what he said, if you can. And he makes this statement, everything is possible. Does that leave anything out? Everything is possible to the one who believes. The one who believes. Everything, all things are possible to him who believes. He didn't say all things are possible because I'm the Son of God and I have a special anointing and I can do this sort of thing. It's not what he said. All things are possible to him who believes. He didn't even say all things are possible if you believe and I'm present. He said all things are possible to him who who believes. Someone say, I believe. I'm a believer. All things are possible to him who believes. Verse 24, immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. 
Help my unbelief. So he recognizes, yes, I believe. I also recognize there's some unbelief there. And now this Scripture is so encouraging. Because Jesus didn't go, okay, well once you get rid of all that unbelief, come back to Me. And so the guy went off and quoted a certain number of verses like 10,000 times until finally he was built up enough and he came back and had outwitted the unbelief with his mental capacities and was now prepared to receive healing. He asked for mercy. I mean, Peter walked on the water and then ended up, he had a victory in faith and then ended up failing and sinking and Jesus didn't let him under the water. He pulls him back out. They go back to the boat and he says, why is your faith so small? Why did you doubt? He still rescued him. He still saved him. So here, in spite, this guy's saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly coming together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of Him and never enter Him again. Then it came out shrieking and convulsing Him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking Him... I love those but Jesus verses. But Jesus, taking Him by the hand, raised Him up and stood Him up. After he went into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He told them this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now if you'll go over to, we're not going there now, but in Matthew 17 verse 20, it's the same account. And there he gives more detail about why they couldn't drive him out. And it was because of their unbelief. And it's the unbelief is removed from your life when you fast and pray. And you get real clear on God's intentions. All right? The fasting and praying doesn't drive out the Spirit. It gets you synced up with God and with His will. Someone say, all things are possible to me when I believe. And I believe. There are 19 cases of individuals being healed in the Gospels. More if you count like when He healed whole crowds. But I'm saying individuals. Individual cases. There's 19 of them where the person's faith is specifically mentioned. No, I said that wrong. Let me reset. 10 out of the 19, the person's faith is specifically mentioned. 10 out of these 19 individual cases, their faith, he mentions or recognizes their faith as the difference maker. Remember the nobleman's son? came and asked Jesus to heal him. And the man believed the word Jesus spoke. He didn't go touch him that time. He just spoke the word. And he was healed. And it says he believed. That's faith. He believed the words of Jesus and he got better from that hour. Remember the paralytic man that was let down through the roof by his friends? Right? His friends had some real faith going on. And they showed up. If we can just get this guy to Jesus, he'll be healed. It says Jesus saw their faith. And he was healed. The centurion's servant. He said, he comes to Jesus. He goes, my servant is sick near death's door. Jesus said, go your way as you have believed. Let it be done. Believing makes the difference. Woman with the issue of blood. We read about her earlier. Jesus said to her, your faith has made you well. Whose faith? Jesus' faith? No. Your faith 
has made you well. The two blind men, we read about them. Jesus said to them, according to your faith, be it done to you. How about the ten lepers that were cleansed and the one that comes back and gives thanks? And what did Jesus say to him? He said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith. Someone say, my faith. Blind Bartimaeus. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. The Syrophoenician's daughter. Remember where the whole healing is the children's bread? Statement is made. He said to this woman, he said, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you want. So her desires were met because she had faith. Not because Jesus was mighty. He is mighty. Was mighty. Continues to be mighty. But her faith made the difference. How about the man with the possessed son we just read? He goes, help my unbelief. And the son was delivered. So clearly Jesus did. He said, I do believe. And Jairus' daughter, we read about her. Jesus said to, to him, Jairus, He said, fear not. Only believe. And obviously He did because they went on and she was raised from the dead. Fear not. Only believe. That's 10 out of 19 cases. Six more out of those 19. We can see their faith even though it doesn't specifically mention their faith. When you look at the stories, you can see it. Now, you notice in all these accounts that I just mentioned and what we read, you notice what's missing in all of these accounts? Is any reference to it might not be God's will for you to be healed. Any shadow of hinting that maybe it's not God's timing right now for this. Maybe this is just your cross to bear. None of that. Any reference to that it's all up to God and completely out of their hands? Not once. Instead, ten times it specifically mentions it was their faith that made the difference. It's according to what you believe. According to what I believe. If you want results, you're going to have to do what? Believe. That's the thing with faith. is The devil wants to make it seem like it's hard to come over into faith. It's not hard. It's so easy a child can do it. Think about it. It's so easy a child can do it. Childlike faith. So if a child can do it, certainly you and I can do it. And it's not difficult because the Word even tells us here's how you get it. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. Hearing the Word of God. That's you knowing what His will is. Hearing what God's will is. And then faith rises up on the inside for that thing. But see, the thing is, is a bunch of us are listening with our ears, but we're not really hearing with our heart. Now we know it says that mentally, but with our heart, but my situation. I don't deserve it because of... And while we might not say that, Check on the inside because those are real sneaky cobwebs to be mucking up in the corners. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, let's go over to Mark 11. In 2008, I was playing football and I was rushing the quarterback and my um, ACL and MCL snapped and it was so loud the whole team heard it. 
It was so loud we thought I'd broken my leg. It wasn't, it was ligaments. And they completely were completely torn. And um, at the time, financially, I, I didn't have insurance and I didn't have any money to do anything about it. So um, ice and ibuprofen. And I wasn't, didn't even know to believe God for it at that point, right? And so time goes on, and to that beginning of 2009, we get spirit-filled. We find out. I start listening to all these sermons from, from Pastor Dale, and we find out that healing is God's will for us. And that we can lay hands on the sick. They'll get better. You know, all these things. Well, in the meantime, I had scheduled with a doctor to because a year had gone by from when the injury had happened. It had happened beginning of 2008. Now, one year later, I had already scheduled with a doctor to go in and have surgery and repair the damage that was done in there. They had taken, taken MRIs and, and they said that the ligaments had actually shriveled up, pulled back, and, and you couldn't even find them anymore because it had been a whole year. And so it, it, a little more problems than what they were, were hoping to have to come into. Well, in this time frame, I find out about healing. You know, I thought, well, I don't want to go to the doctor. I'd rather just be healed mir- miraculously, right? And so I began to lay hands on my knee and pray for healing and ask the Lord for His healing power to flow in and through my knee and absolutely nothing. Man, I remember taking shower after shower and man speaking the Word and stirring myself up in faith. But see, in the back of my mind, I knew I had plan B. And that if this doesn't work, I still got the date with the doctor set to get this fixed one way or the other. Now, is there anything wrong with going to doctors? No. However, I was allowing that option to hamstring my faith for my current healing. Because I know I can get it one way or the other if this one fails. So let's try this one. And then, if it doesn't work, we'll go to plan B. Plan B is the enemy of faith. Come on. You can have plan B. Do not hear me wrong. You can have a plan B, but make sure your faith is not in the plan, but in Him. Alright? Jesus had plan B one time. He's down at the edge of the water. He's preaching to the people and He tells Peter, hey, have plan B ready and get the boat ready in case the press of the crowd comes too much. He didn't get in the boat yet. He just said in case. He's prepared. But guess what? His faith wasn't in the boat. Right? His faith was in something else entirely. Well, time came and I finally went in for surgery and they did the surgery and, and um, they told me how many you know, weeks it takes before I was off of crutches and I don't know, 12 weeks or some long, ridiculous time before I could go back to work. And, well, now I have no plan B of doctors helping me. It's just recovery, Right? So now I can finally believe God for a supernatural fast recovery. And so we do. We unite our faith together. We lay hands on me. We pray. And um, in just a few days, I was off of crutches and I was back at work in two weeks. And doing well. Went through rehab. I showed up to the very first session of rehab. And this is how much God's power worked in me. Even though I didn't receive the miracle healing originally, He had now sped the healing process up after the fact, because that's where my faith was. See, Jesus will meet you, the Father will meet you where your faith is. That's why when people said, help my unbelief, He still rescued them. Well, 
I went into the rehab and, and they put me through all the things they put. And she goes, well, I don't know why you're here because you're stronger than what norm, a normal person is with this surgery done at the end of all the rehab sessions. You're stronger on the very first one. <laughs> and so I'm like, yes, awesome. Went and talked to the doctor and the doctor goes, I've never in my life seen someone heal this fast. She said, I, what have you been doing? I said, I prayed. Oh, that's great. In fact, I had prayed with the doctor before he did the surgery. I said, doctor, can I pray with you? And he's like, sure. And so I prayed that the Lord would guide his hands in the surgery and everything. And so he knew, he knew where I was at. Well, it's now months, it's now a year later. 2010, and I'm fully recovered, rehabbed, I feel great. And I'm playing softball and I'm, I'm in the catcher position and someone comes into home plate and just takes my knee, that very same knee, just right straight out the side like pain. <laughs> and I recognized the pain, the sounds. I recognized the feeling. And instantly swelled up, man, just boom, ballooned up inside my pants. And so much pain, I go over, I sit down on the, uh, on the bench there in the dugout, and I decided right then and there, there's not going to be a plan B for me this time. I'm receiving my healing from the Lord this time. It's not like I'm asking my child or someone else to suffer while I work out my faith. I'm going to receive it. And even if I have to go the rest of my life with this thing hurting, I'm going to get it this way or not at all. That was what I decided. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't go to doctors. I'm just saying that's how I decided to keep my faith from being hamstrung this time. So I laid hands, sitting there on the dugout. I laid hands on that knee and I prayed. Man, it just got hurting worse and throbbing more. It didn't get better. It started feeling worse, right? We go home. That was on a Thursday night. And the following... Um, Tuesday night, we had, we're now in Pennsylvania. We lived in Colorado at the time. We came in for the annual landmark meetings that happened. It was 2010. And the very first night, the Tuesday night of the meeting, this is following that Thursday night where the injury happened. Now understand that my, my legs still swelled up big. My jeans fit real tight around it. It hurts. I'm walking around like this, you know. And um, we were sitting on the front row, and at the very first meeting, uh, Pastor Bob Hawk, he said, if you need um, healing in, in your body, come up and, and we'll pray for you. And so I'm right there. So I just stood up. I said, listen, I've already prayed and asked the Lord for His help on this matter. Just agree with me that what, I've, what I'm standing on is that His Word is true for me. Okay, so him and, and David Landis, they lay hands on me. Scriptural, isn't it? They pray over me, call me healed. And... It's not a bit better. It still hurts just as much. It's just as swelled up. I limped back to my seat. Well, maybe it's just not God's will for me this time. Maybe it's a timing issue. See, there is a trial of our faith. And that's what's being tried is your faith. You're believing for something that hasn't happened yet. And so you continue to believe. Well, what happened next was we went through that whole week of meetings and it wasn't a bit better. When the meetings were done, we went back to Missouri where my mom lives and I had told her months ago that when we come, I will um, put in some cabinets in your basement for you. Replace cabinets, kitchen cabinets. 
And um, that's really hard to do when you can't bend your leg. And so the very first day I'm struggling with this thing and I can't really do anything. And, and that evening a bunch of us went swimming in my uncle's swimming pool. And I thought, well, this will be something I can do because there's no weight on it. And so I was excited about that. And I went and I get in the pool. And when you swim, that little twisting motion like this, my, my knee couldn't handle it. And so I end up sitting over there on the side. And for a moment, Self-pity came and was knocking. And I had a choice to make. Do I feel sorry for myself or do I just double down on what the Word says and it's my reality. It's my truth. And so I rejected that. I said, no, you know what? I'm the healed of the Lord. His Word says that I'm healed. And people be like, why aren't you swimming? Well, I really can't right now. My knee its too painful. But it's getting better. That's what I would tell them. It's, it's, it's healing. And um, that night, we go back to my mom's house. And as I had been doing every night, it is now um, a week and a half. Yeah, like a week and a half after the injury. And visibly to look at it, it looks like the day I, I messed it all up. It's still just swelled up. It still throbs. It still hurts. It's not any better. It hadn't gotten any better. Well, I sat on the edge of the bed like I did every night. And I spoke to my knee. And I laid hands on my knee in obedience to the Word. Because the Word says, those that believe will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So I laid my hands on my knee and I looked at that knee and I was like this. I said, knee, how dare you defy the Word of God. The Word says, I am healed. So therefore, I am healed. And you just get right in alignment with the Word of God, and be whole, be healthy, every ligament, every muscle, every bone, every part of you, free of pain, full of health, full of life. I believe it. It's mine. I receive it. Right? This is how I, I spoke, spoke to it. And then, to get in bed, you know, any kind of weight like this on your knee, that's, pain, that's really painful. So I would have to, to get in bed, I'd have to get a hold of it, and get it up into bed, pull the covers up, Right? And the weight of the covers on your foot. Oh, that's painful. You gotta get your foot out from underneath the covers. And I had just prayed and confessed and believed all this about my knee. And so the pain is ever present. That's what it's doing. Are you gonna answer the door? Instead, truth is, the word says I'm healed. So I am healed. And the last thing I remember, it was hurting and I fell asleep. Now normally, every morning, as I'd go to get out of bed and you swing that leg out of bed, and all of a sudden, oh yeah, ouch. Well, this morning, I got out of bed, uh, it was the middle of the afternoon, and I was on my knees down in my mom's basement working on a cabinet, and all of a sudden went, What? And I jump up, I do squats, I jump around, I put my pants down, look at my knee. I mean, it looks <laughs> as normal as any knee has ever looked. No swelling, no pain, couldn't make it hurt. What if that night, that's by faith, is taking the promise, refusing to quit. Now, what if that night, sitting at the edge of the swimming pool, I don't know, maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe God just doesn't like me. You know, I, I'm, I'm doing the Word. I've been speaking to my knee. I've been using my words. I, 
Why is it not working? But rather than looking at that why, I went back to this is what I believe and take a hold of and belongs to me. And it was so. But let's go. Did you make it to Mark 11 yet? And I'll read to you a uh, few verses here because this will bear out the story I just, I just told you, the illustration. So he had, Jesus had cursed the fig tree that didn't have any figs on it. looked like it should have. And um, the next morning as they go by, here are the fig trees withered up. And in verse 21, Peter remembers it. says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. If you could put this up in the uh, New King James. Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Now, a better translation is have faith, have the faith of God. The Young's Living says have faith of God. Or some would even say have the God kind of faith. That's the, what he's conveying here. Have faith like God. He says, I assure you. Let's go on to verse 23. And I'll read it from up on the screen. Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say, that's speaking with your mouth, that's not thinking, that's not meditating in a quiet way off in a corner, it's saying with your mouth, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, this is what they're going to say, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So he, say is mentioned three times, believe is mentioned one time. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or as some would say, the mouth leaks. Alright? Out of the abundance of the heart, you'll say what you believe. He didn't say, say it to convince yourself. He said, say it and believe it. Now, let's look at the next verse. Verse 25. uh, 25. Uh, Verse 24, I'm sorry. Therefore, I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe. Someone say believe. That ye receive them and you shall have them. Believe that you receive them. This word receive, if you look at it in the original, it is not a current, it's a past tense word. Believe, a better translation would say, believe that you have received past tense. Believe that you have received. And really, the word means taken. That you have taken. Believe that you have taken this. So if you believe that you have taken it, then you're going to begin to thank Him for what He's done for you, right? I mean, if you ask Him for healing and the healing happened in your body, you would now thank Him. And you would behave because of what you believe. I'm healed. Well, He's saying do this before you see it with your eyes. Believe that you have taken it. And it will be yours. That's what faith is. Is to believe. Appropriate it. You know, it makes a difference who who you hang around. It makes a difference the kind of church you go to. It makes a difference if you're in an environment that's growing and building faith on the inside of you. So reason, 
That was reason number 20. So review, reason number 19. That we believe healing is the will of God is because of the laying on of hands. And reason number 20 is because of faith. Faith is the great equal opportunity employer. Equal opportunity. Everyone comes to the Father on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. And on what He did for us. We stand in grace by faith. In His ability by faith. Because we believe it. And we just won't have it any other way. So what we're going to do in a moment here is if you need healing in your body for something, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you're at. Don't come to the front. Just stand up where you're at. If you need healing in your body, I want you to stand up and the people around you, those who believe, okay, those who believe, we're going to have you come and lay hands on them and we're going to pray together and they will recover. Okay? Now, I don't want you to go and lay hands on them yet, but you can gather, get near them, get around them. You know, Jesus said some amazing, amazing promises. He said that where two or three are gathered together in My name, that's what we're here tonight, He said, I'm there with them in the middle of them, and that anything they ask, it will be done for them. An amazing promise. I want you to, if you're touching them, take your hands off of them, please. Don't touch them yet. We're going to touch them intentionally in a moment. So just wait and let's stir up faith. Let's allow faith to well up on the inside of us at the promise of the Lord. And then at the right time, we're all going to lay hands on them and we'll, we will believe God for Him to do His part. You know, the, when Jesus made that promise, he didn't put all the qualifiers in of if I'm pleased with you, if uh, you've earned it, if you've walked without sin for at least six weeks, if you have exhibited faith and only faith and never had even a hint of doubt anywhere in your life. He didn't go down this list of dequalifiers. I don't know if dequalifier is a word, but it is now. He didn't do that. Instead, he said that where two or three are gathered together, Anything they ask for, it will be done for them. So, Man, we should ask big. Jesus said, whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosened. So those are promises. Jesus said that you're going to do greater things than these. He said you will lay hands on the sick. They will recover. So tonight, after we take our hands off of these people that have stood up, we can confidently say they are recovering. Whether you see it with your eye or not, they are recovering. And notice, there is a place and time for elders to lay hands, the ministry to lay hands for healing. There is a ministry of laying on of hands. A, a gifting that comes with that. However, all believers can also lay hands for healing. And just obey the Word. Do you believe that it's true? Remember, faith is so simple, it's a child can do it. And it's a simple choice of saying, I believe you. That what you said is true. That when I lay hands on people, they recover. Let's say that. When I lay hands on people, they recover. 
That's what Jesus said. And I believe it. Father, I thank You for Your great promises. Thank You that You are here with us right now. We worship You. We exalt You. And in obedience to Your Word, we lay hands on these people right now and we say, be healed in Jesus' name. Be whole. Sickness, disease, brokenness, pain, we bind You. In Jesus' name, we do not permit You here any longer. And we loosen. We loosen the power of God upon You. We give the power of God to You in the name of Jesus. Be healed. Be whole. Now say, I receive it. I believe it's mine. I lay hold of it. It belongs to me. I worship You, Lord. I exalt You, Jesus. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for healing me. Thank You for delivering me. I skip like that calf out in the stall. I thank You, Lord. I thank You, Father, for Your healing power delivering us and setting us free. John, if you would, lead us in that chorus. We have a Savior. We have a healer. And then take us on into worship. We have a Savior, we have a Savior in our Lord. We have a Savior, we have a Savior in our Lord. He is the King. He is the Father, we worship You and we exalt You. You are good. Let's just say this together. Father, I yield myself to You. To Your Lordship. Be Lord over me. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord. And amen. If this is the first time that you've ever prayed that, or if you have walked away from the Lord and this is was you coming back to Him, I just invite you to be bold enough to come up as a, as a public declaration. If this is your first time. You know, when you, when you make a statement, it's usually good to do it publicly. Because there's accountability. And there's something that comes with that accountability. It's the Lord, He sees it. Along with people seeing it. Hallelujah.
you like to share what took place with you this week in a dream and in scripture? <laughs> yeah, you can do that. You can do that. Let me get you a mic. Grab your phone. All right, you guys are going to have to give me a minute to find this. It first started, though, the other night I was really troubled and kind of just feeling like I had walked away from my faith for a while and I've been trying to get back to it and I've been praying and being like, oh yeah, I'll get there at some point. But just the last week, I don't know, a couple nights ago, I was just really troubled. I couldn't sleep. So I called Shane over here and it was like six in the morning at this point because I hadn't slept all night. And we start talking, he's encouraging me. And then uh, he actually told me, he'd called me a couple days beforehand, which was, I believe, last Saturday night and said, um, he just hit me up. He's like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, um, just wanted to check in with you. And we started talking for a little bit. And he's like, hey, like, if you're free tonight, which I wasn't, I was working. But I was like, he was like, can you, uh, would you be interested in listening to the sermon online? So I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, fast forward a couple of days later where I couldn't sleep. Um, I'm telling him, like, man, I feel like, you know, I, I messed up. I've been waiting too long. You know, like I might miss the train, the ride home. I feel like Jesus is coming back soon. And he's like, you know what, Benji? He's like, I didn't tell you this the other day, but um, I don't know if I'm saying this exactly right, either uh, Nicole borrowed his phone or vice versa. And for whatever reason, the alarm that was set on it said, call Benji. And he's like, this has never happened before. That alarm has not been used in I don't know how long. And um, so that uh, that's when he told me that. And I just was like, okay, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> And some other things happened. He just prayed with me and a lot of stuff. And then that night, I had, uh, I had this dream. And uh, I'll read it with you guys. I don't know why my phone wants to update right now, but hold on a second. And it, it, it kind of scared me a little bit, honestly. I, uh, I don't know what to think of it, but I also felt like God was telling me to share it with everybody on Facebook, so I did. I post a lot, sorry. Some of us know. Yeah, I'm sure. Anybody that follows <laughs> me knows that. Oh, jeez. All right, here it is. So I had to edit it then later at one point because I forgot some stuff that I left out. But I, I started with, I had two strange dreams last night. The first one was that I'm not sure where I was, but someone I knew came up to me and said that they wanted to show me something that was about to come out. And I was dead asleep, and instantly, I had my phone in my hand while I was asleep, and my phone went off the second that they got finished saying that, and it woke me up, and I got sent a video that uh, Trump was about to expose the deep state. And when I woke up, I grabbed my Bible, and I asked God if there's anything else he wanted to show me, and I fell back asleep uh, shortly after that with the Bible in my hand. And then a second dream happened shortly after, and it seemed, that, seemed to have happened time-wise shortly after the first one, like if we were relative to like today, and maybe it was a couple months from now or whatnot, I, I don't know. But it seemed like that. Um, but I was partying and carrying on. A lot of other people were too. Everybody seemed peaceful. 
And then all of a sudden, there was a giant rumbling off in the distance that slowly grew louder. Is this, I just want to make sure, is this what you were talking yeah, this, about? This is the one okay. I was talking about, yeah. Um, everything was peaceful, and then all of a sudden, there was a faint rumbling off in the distance that slowly grew louder. I got in the car and happened to start driving south, and I saw nukes started hitting all around, but more what looked like to the east, uh, the south, and the southwest. And you could see multiple mushroom clouds everywhere. Me and everyone else started driving frank frantically the other way. We turned around and started driving off. Um, it started drawing closer to me, and when it did, I heard a voice I believe was the Lord telling me, tell them to repent and turn to me. And I, and I woke up. Um, also in that dream, there was one point, I can't remember if it was in the first dream or the second one. I remember there was like some type of ceremony. I don't know if it was a birthday or not, but a cake was pre presented to Trump that exploded with the intention to assassinate him. I don't know if it did, but in the dream, I had the feeling that it did. And at the same time, the Capitol building blew up and was destroyed. So those are my dreams. But I think the main thing that I got out of it was to repent and turn to the Lord. Um, and before that, me and Shane were kind of doing that and, and praying through that. And I have been troubled since then, but a lot has been changing for me. And it's part of the reason I'm here tonight. So. Yeah. So tell us, who is Jesus to you, Benji? Uh, he's the Lord and Savior. He's the King. He's the King. Yeah. That's right. So everything now that you do going forward is in relation to that, right? Absolutely. And um, you didn't miss the train. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. As a reminder, we do have an alms basket in the back in the lobby. If you have extra that you want to put in there, you may. If you have need in your life, uh, take something from the alms basket. And um, this is one of the ways that we love on each other in this house is meeting each other's needs. And so uh, as you go, hug on each other, love on each other, check up with each other. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Hear him say it. All right, be blessed. great to see each and every one of you here tonight. Thank you so much for coming. We're really glad that you're here. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I have a question for you tonight. You ready? What is the one thing we can give God that he has not already given us. Anybody else? What? Worship. The one thing that we voluntarily give to God 
free will, using our free will, is worship. Worship is an act of love that we give the Lord in good times and in bad, all the time. It's something that we can do 24-7. It is an, a free act of our free will. It's worship. We give worship back to the Father. He didn't give us worship. It's something that we give Him. And it's so beautiful. I was reading in Revelations 4 and 5. Now remember, there's only one family of God. That family is currently on the earth and currently in heaven. It's one family, though. We are separated, Gloria. Uh, glorious body and flesh body, but nevertheless, we are one family. Ephesians says that. So, but look in Revelations 4 and 5, where we're, we are going to be reunited. In verse 9 of chapter 5, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, every tongue and people and nation and has made us unto God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth forever. We shall reign on the earth. doesn't say forever. We shall reign on the earth for a thousand years, that millennium. We will be united with the family in heaven and we will all worship around the throne to the Ancient of Days, the Father who sits on the throne, and the Lamb who was slain for, before the foundations of the earth. But right now, we get to worship in the flesh. And that's an opportunity that's very fleeting. So whenever you get the opportunity to collectively worth, worship together as family, take advantage of it, church. Let's all stand up together. And from your heart, trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Let's worship him with all our heart tonight because he is worthy. We believe that joy grace Well, good evening, everyone. How y'all doing? You good? Everybody's glad to be here? Good. Well, do we have anyone that's with us for the very first time? If you're a visitor here, could you raise your hand so we can recognize you? Over here, welcome. Welcome to Church of the Word International. All right. We're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. So um, turn to Psalms 56. I'm going to read this psalm. You know, it's very important. I mean, like super duper important that you have established a firm uh, foundation of trust in God. Everything breaks down from there if you do not have your trust firmly established in God. And, you know, young people, as you, um, you know, start having jobs and you become an, uh, independent and your own in the world, you know, you're not your own in the world. <laughs> Don't lean on your degree or opportunities or your brilliance or your charm to, to make it in life. Your trust in God. Build a foundation of your trust in God. One of the biggest, or one of the, a big way 
that we reveal what we trust in or who we trust in is in our finances. You know, our approach to money and, you know, making a living and giving and things, that will reveal something about us. So this is a psalm of trust, and I felt impressed to read this tonight. And read it, make it personal, right? This is you, all right? It says in verse 1 here, it says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. And we can make this personal for our country, you know? Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid... In the day I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In other words, I choose. Not necessarily you feel. No, I put it. I make effort. I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. And let's just say that together. Let's say it like three times. In God, I trust. In God, I trust. In God, I trust. I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? This next couple of verses, man, it's hard not to think of your president when you read these. It says, all day long they injure my cause. Now, several other translations said it this way. All day long they twist my words, distort what I say. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They scheme against me, some translations say. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God, nothing's escaping God. He sees everything you're going through. He knows every thought. It doesn't escape him. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. Oh, when I, when I call. When I remember my trust is in the Lord. This I know. Do you know this? God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So you trust God in everything, for everything, no matter what comes, that's your bedrock. You know, one of the ways that we demonstrate that we trust God is when we tithe. Uh, There's always an outward action of an inward belief. You know, James says that. You know, faith without actions is dead. So there's always this outward action for what we say we believe. And I was, I was thinking about this. Um, how many of you remember that dream that Jacob had? When uh, he, had, he saw that, that ladder that ascended to heaven and the angels were descending and ascending on it. And then he wakes up, he names the place Bethel, and then he says this to the Lord. Anybody remember what he said? Well, I'm sure Dale does. <laughs> But it's in Genesis 28. I'm not going to turn there. But basically in the Gen Revised Version, he says this. God, I'm trusting you. I'm looking to you to provide. 
I'm looking to you to protect me. I know you're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. And I'm going to demonstrate this by returning a tenth of everything that you give me. I'm going to demonstrate that I trust you by returning a tenth. That's in Genesis chapter 28, end of the chapter. You can read that. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So take a hold of your tithe and let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are trustworthy and that you love us that you protect us and you provide for us. And there's so many blessings that you bestow upon us and promises you've given us. So we just thank you. We trust you. We put our trust in you that no matter what comes, that you are for us. So I call these people, these tithers, blessed according to your word. In Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets. And the people will not give to man but to the Lord. All right, well, tomorrow night, just going over our bulletin here, tomorrow night we have young adults, or youth and young adults, the um, impact at 6. And we're also starting up our new home group series this week. So if, you're, if you would like to be part of a home group, haven't signed up, you, you have plenty of time um, downstairs or talk to Debbie. There'll probably be a sign-up sheet somewhere. So um, be a part of that. Just uh, to mention, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, um, on Wednesdays from 9 to 10, uh, the church is open for prayer. So Wednesdays 9 to 10, and then, of course, Saturday at 5 p.m. before the service. Uh, Mark your calendar, if you're a man or a lady, (laughs) to be part of our new men's group. Uh, The new men's group is going to be starting January 30th. Um, It's going to be the last Saturday of each month at 8 a.m., And the ladies' breakfast is coming up Saturday, February 13th. So mark your calendars and sign-up sheets in the back for the ladies' breakfast.